Well, good morning. So, ha so happy to lead you in worship. It's a comfortable worship today. We're all kind of relaxing. We've set up a little, little area for the recording. And by the way, aren't you thankful for technology? Aren't you thankful we have a chance to be in the Word together even though we're not together? I have to tell you, maybe we've taken for granted just having the chance to worship together and be a community. Once we're together again, I think there'll be a unique level of celebration. I thought I wanted to warn you a couple things. You may not know this, but the camera adds about 30 pounds. So as you see this, just, just deduct 30 pounds from everything you see. Coronavirus is on everybody's mind. And I, I've been thinking, I think I, I could solve this. The testing, I think what we should do is put testing points at the drive-in at every Chick-fil-A. We would have everybody tested in one day. See, it never stops, my friend. It never stops. This is our second week of being online. I don't know how long we're going to be doing this, but we have a chance to be in the Word together, laugh together, just have a chance to have some time together. And again, we're so thankful for the technology that gives us the chance to be in the Word. Let me give you a thought. Feed your faith. Don't feed your fear. You can't feed them both. You're going to starve one. If you feed your faith, you will starve your fear because you can't feed them both. If you're feeding your fear without realizing it, you're starving your faith. So let's get into the word. Today's the blood and the wood. We finished our series on, on the, the feasts, but I want to look at the blood and the wood. They're come together for us. The text is John 19. Verses 23 and 24. If you have your Bibles, kind of go there right now. Let's kind of be there together. John 19, 23 and 24. Let me read it to you. After the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four parts, with each soldier getting one part. They also took his long shirt, which was one piece of cloth woven from top to bottom. The soldiers said to each other, we shouldn't tear this into parts. Let's throw lots, dice, to see who should get it. This happened so that scripture would come true. The scripture, by the way, is Psalms 22, 18. They divided my clothes among them, and they threw lots for my clothing. Oh, the events are on the cross, huh? But do you ever feel like, drop the miscellaneous. One time, tell me what counts. One time, skip everything and just get to the root. What's real? What's essential? All these preachers and all these churches trying to be so creative, cut to the chase. One time, we're getting close to Holy Week, cut to the chase. What's the core? What, scripture's got so many do's and don'ts, should and shouldn't. What's essential? Maybe one time in your spiritual walk, you're in kind of a dry well, searching for the heart of it all between you and Christ. Is this all there is? Sunday worship, when we get to Pretty songs, faithful sacrificial giving, necklaces with a golden cross, leather Bibles, all nice. But what's the purpose? What is the essential? What's the core? You know, Paul answered it. 1 Corinthians 5, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Let me read this to you. Listen carefully. Paul says, I passed on to you what I received, of which this is most important. Here we go. This is the most important thing. That Christ died for our sins, as scripture says. He was buried and he rose on the third day. There it is. The most important thing, cut to the chase. One time. Don't be creative, just tell us what's important. Jesus was killed. He was buried and he rose on the third day. It's, it's almost too simple. Jesus killed, buried, and resurrected. 
Surprised? That's what matters. The crucifixion, resurrection, that, that's our centerpiece. The event of Jesus' death and his resurrection, according to St. Paul, that's what counts. What a piece of wood, that cross, huh? History has idolized it, despised it. They've gold-plated it. Racists have burned it on front lawns. We've worn it. We've trashed it. It seems through history we can do anything with the cross except ignore it. I guess ignoring is the only option that's not available. No one seems to be able to ignore it. You cannot ignore this piece of wood that suspends the greatest event of all time, that suspends the greatest part of history of all time. God in the flesh dies on a cross. He is with us. At Christmas time, the key is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. No wonder Paul called it the heart of the gospel. A serious study of the gospel, serious study of Christianity is at its core a study of Jesus. And a study of Jesus at its core is the cross and resurrection. You can either accept or reject Christ. That's, that's not the issue here. But you cannot modify him. can't change him. To accept or reject Jesus without examining the cross is like trying to buy a car without the engine. It's pretty, but nothing makes it go. And the cross is the authority of stubborn love. Stubborn love. Oh, reaching out to me and to you. Desiring us all the way to the cross. And death defeated on a third day. Okay, this is the core. Let's build on this truth. You ever take a moment and consider the who's who of the Bible? You know, you know I'm into the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. We got our heroes from there. But these heroes are not heroes. Bible doesn't sanitize it. I mean, they ought to be in jail. Their halos are a mess. What we see is the, the humanness of these people. That God used these people to change history. Let me give you an example. Abraham. I mean, he's the father of the nation. Is there a bigger hero in the Old Testament than Father Abraham? He's got a habit. He's a liar. He's got a lying tongue. In Genesis chapter 12, he says his wife, Sarah, is his sister. Now, that's bad. But even worse, in Genesis chapter 20, he did it again. Twice. He trains integrity for security. Can God build a nation on this guy? He's a liar. God took Abraham, the human being, forgave him, and built a nation on this guy. Then we got Moses. I mean, is he not a hero? Is this not one of the best? This guy's batting cleanup on the all-star team, isn't he? I mean, come on, it's Moses. At 80, he doesn't look that good. He's a prince to an outlaw. He's a runaway murderer. He's a felon. Would, would you lead this guy or call this guy to lead a nation out of slavery? Would you entrust the Ten Commandments to a felon, to a fugitive? Yet God called him. No wonder Moses went, who, me? And there's David. Hero of the Old Testament, come on. Lust gets out of control. He gets a woman pregnant that he lusted after. Then he makes an arrangement in a battle to have her husband killed so he can marry the widow. And then he goes on like nothing happened. David's track record is not so sweet, but his repentance is out of, without question. The stories go on and on. I mean, Elijah, the prophet who pouted. Solomon, the king, a little bit too much. Jo Jacob, the wheeler dealer, the cheat. Sarah, who laughs at God. On after another, God seems to use our best and overcome our worst. The lesson is clear. God uses people to change the world. 
damaged people like me and you. The fact is, he's got to use damaged people. That's all he's got. He reaches out to me and you, inviting us to serve in the kingdom because Jesus is alive. The core, he died for me. Cross, resurrection. He uses broken people because we're broken in this world to change the world. Not geniuses, not superhuman, but people, folks like me and you. What they lacked, God made the difference. Jesus kind of summarized all this of his reaching out to us in a story. It's not a true story. It's a tale. It's famous. Some call it the greatest story of all time. It's certainly the most emotional tale. It goes like this. There's a teenager who says the life on the farm is kind of boring. Slow for his tastes. Pockets full of inheritance money. He sets out for the big time. And with money, he makes friends easy. Fair weather friends. He loses all of his money. You've heard the line, fast women, slow horses. He loses his money, so he loses his friends. He ends up feeding the pigs. So Jesus says, ram this home. Mothers are crying. This guy's feeding the pigs in a kosher society where pigs are forbidden. This guy's feeding the pigs. He swallows his pride. He says, I can't take this. He digs his hands into his pockets and begins to walk back home. He has to face his dad, who he's trashed. All the way home, don't you think he's practicing? He's working on his, his speech. I would be. He never got to use it. His father sees him coming far off, and he runs and greets him with open arms and smothers the boy in love. The boy has to smell like a pig. And the boy reaches out his arms, a father reaches out his arms and hugs the boy and welcomes him home. This story's us. That same welcome mat was there for the failed Abraham. That same welcome mat was there for the failed Moses. The same welcome mat was there for the failed David. The same welcome mat was for you and me. He welcomes us home even though we're damaged because he died on the cross and rose again. No wagging fingers, no clenched fists. No, I told you so. No interrogation, only open arms. God uses you and me to make a difference. He calls out to us. Look who he's already used. The key, I think, is when we have this relationship, we begin to think big picture. I think Satan wants us to think small picture. The big picture, you and I are a spirit housed in a body. And I always make the joke, this body isn't me. Remember the camera adds weight. This body isn't me. Right back at you. You're a spirit and you're housed in this body. At some point, your spirit will leave this body into eternity. Because God did something unique when he built us. He didn't do it with the fish and the animals and the trees. He breathed in us. We're eternal. That's big picture thinking. We, we, we don't focus our lives merely on now. We focus our lives on the big picture. And Satan wants you to think short term. Maybe for the first time you think in terms of the big picture. Abraham, Moses, David, on and on, finally saw the big picture, living my, my life that God received glory, living my life for God who will welcome me into eternity, despite my failings. Look at the forgiveness at the open arms, covered in blood, sacrifice for me and you. And then go to the cross for a second. Let your eyes kind of skim down. And there's the soldiers. Remember all the way back at the beginning of the scripture we read, they're casting lots. Does this seem surreal to you? Is this a little bit too bizarre? These soldiers are in front of the greatest scene of all history. History 
will ride and fall on this one event and they don't even know it. They've watched men die before. They're bored. They're looking for things to do. These are hardened soldiers. And the text tells us they're gambling for the use of the clothes of the dying. Someone's going to get a tunic. Someone's going to get new sandals. Each soldier tossing dice, trying to expand their wardrobe. What does this look like? I wonder what, what went through Jesus' heart. He's prayed for them. His arms are open for them. He's shedding blood for them. He prayed for them as these were the same guys that put nails in his hands. And now they're rolling dice at the foot of the cross. The most climactic event of all history. And it's more important for them to roll dice. The most important event of all time. And they're trying to add maybe a new pair of sandals. As far as they're concerned, it's another Friday. It's another criminal. Hurry up, it's my turn. Can you hear them? The symbolism is powerful to me. Do we do that? Do we play games at the foot of the cross? Forgetting what's essential, remember the core, cut to the chase, the cross and the resurrection? Do we forget what's essential? Because we're so busy playing games. Because we think so short-sighted. Never seeing the big picture. Us, yeah, the church. Religious people. We claim the heritage of the cross. We play games. We deal with status, advancement, games at the foot of the cross. The title today is The Blood and the Wood. So close to the blood of Christ, yet playing games at the, at the wood. So focused on short term. Churches are coming apart today. They split and then split again. Great huddles and, and battles back and forth Talk about short term meaningless thinking, playing games so close to the blood. Some people have been hurt in a church. Maybe years ago you got hurt in a church. And Satan is still getting mileage out of that? He's turned you into a victim. There's a truism. It's impossible to be a victim without a villain. You must have a villain to be a victim. So people create villains. There are people that spend their whole lives creating villains. What's happened? They're living in the short term. They don't see the big picture. They're playing games at the foot of the cross. They're at the wood, but they're not by the blood. There's a great leadership quote. Leaders forfeit excuses. At some point, that's big picture thinking. We come before Christ without excuses. Discipleship is defined as obedience on and on and on. It's long term. That's the cross. So what's important? Cut to the chase. Don't be creative one time. Just tell me. All right. Paul did. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was crucified on a cross. Rose again. Intercedes for me. Ignore the miscellaneous. Ignore the short term. Live big picture. It's a big deal because a martyr can't save me. I can't serve a martyr. I can't worship a dead guy. A martyr can't change my life. He's alive. The cross and the resurrection. He's called the lamb. Remember the Passover sermon? And John in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. What a great, what a great verse. John says, I saw the lamb who appeared to be standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elder. I saw the lamb. I saw the lamb alive. Is there a more important line in the Bible than that? I saw the lamb. I saw the lamb alive. We stand back and say, Hosanna. Praise God in heaven, who came in the simplicity of a manger. And the core 
went to a cross, died on the cross, gave me the opportunity to live my life in the big picture, serving him. And we praise him. I want to thank you again for taking the time just to come together because we can't waste our life in small thinking. He's alive. We come together now and praise him and thank him. Let's let's just have a word of prayer together. Father, this is church. Doesn't feel like it. We miss community. I miss community. But this is still church because we're in your word. Remind us what is core. Remind us what is essential. I have a Savior who went to the cross and rose again. Because as that enters our heart, we now begin to think in the big picture. And we don't live our life in short-term stuff. And we don't get bogged down. Father, in these days, remind us, feeding our faith that we might starve our fears. We lean back and rely on you and enjoy you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the Sabbath. And Father, we pray that you would keep your hand upon us as we continue to worship in this format, but that we are in the word together. That's worship. Praising you is worship. And we praise you for the essential. I have a Savior who went to the cross and rose again. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.